what a journey it has been over the last month as we've worked our way through this book of Lamentations and it's confronting, isn't it? Like just then we heard of women and virgins being raped in the city and and men being um, uh, kind of struck down as they're trying to hunt for food in this kind of terrible position in which they find themselves. Last week, uh, in chapter 4, we heard about uh, people boiling their own children so that they've got enough food to eat. This is a horrible and destitute kind of position that the people of God have found themselves in as they've not only uh, been invaded and destroyed by the Babylonians but even before that as they were uh, put to siege and their supplies were cut off. And as we've listened to the horror and as we've kind of watched this thing unfold in the Ukraine that though different in style and the modern uh, effects of uh, ballistic missiles and weapons, uh, we've kind of been able to almost transport ourselves there as we've watched in horror the the pictures of women and children uh, affected by a horrendous sin. We've we've been able to kind of get ourselves in the minds of these uh, 6th century BC Uh, Jerusalemites and the horrors facing them and as we've reflected with them as we've sat with them in the mess and the pain we've seen haven't we that one of the things that's deeply distressing about this is though the Babylonians have come in and though they've been unnecessarily harsh and vicious in their Uh, attacks on Jerusalem, ultimately the reason that Jerusalem is falling, the reason that the king has been uh, having his eyes plucked out and taken off into captivity, the reason that all of this stuff is happening is because the people of God are falling under the judgment of God because after hundreds of years of God sending prophets and calling the people back to himself, Again and again and again and again, the people have said, no thanks, we quite like doing things our way. We like all these nice things you've given us, God, but we'll take them and we'll kind of use them for our own benefit in the ways that we kind of like. It's been a brutal, horrifying read. And perhaps you're breathing a sigh of relief as we get to chapter 5 and think, thank goodness this is all over. And it finishes with a prayer, an interesting uh, uh, little aside as we take a look at this prayer uh, that rounds out the book of Lamentations is, uh, you'll know, remember, these have all been acrostic poems. We can't see that in our translations because they're acrostic Hebrew poems and there's not a one-for-one translation uh, for, for Hebrew and English words, but they've been acrostic poems. This last prayer that kind of gathers things up to finish is, is shorter and it, is not, it doesn't follow the same form that the rest of the book has. This is not an acrostic poem. It's still a, a 22-verse uh, poem, but nonetheless, it is not acrostic. And how does it start? Verse 1 Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. Throughout the book, the the, the writer of this book, uh, the the poet as he's sometimes known, uh, 
has been calling either directly or uh, speaking as the people of Jerusalem or speaking to them. He's been calling on God to look and see how desperate things are. Verse 9 of chapter 1, look, Lord, on my affliction. Chapter 2, look, Lord, and consider whom have you ever treated like this? Uh, But prior to this chapter, these little cries to God have have been just that, like uh, they've been chronicling the terror and they've just sort of had these little momentary, oh God, look how bad this is. But, but now we have a sustained address to God. Uh, finally, uh, the poet has moved to prayer. Up to this point, it's been too horrible. It, it, it's been uh, uh, just a, a little look here and there, a, a, a short little cry, but now it is a sustained prayer to God. Remember, Lord, what has happened to us. Look and see our disgrace. And then the disgrace and the horror is chronicled. And there's a lot, if you look there at the first 18 verses, that is familiar to us. It, it, it feels like a lot of the same things that we've, we've had repeated to us time and again over the last four chapters. Their struggle to survive, uh, he outlays to God in verses 2 through 10. Uh, the suffering that they've endured uh, in, and the shame in verses 11 through 14 and just the general sadness of the whole situation Uh, in verses 15 to 18, uh, and we see there, verse 15, joy is gone from our hearts, our dancing has turned to mourning. We are spent. This is horrible. There is no joy. And that really sums up kind of where we've been at to this point in the book, doesn't it? Remember our afflictions, Lord. Look at what has happened to us. Look at our disgrace. Here it all is. Our joy has turned to mourning. And having chronicled all this before God in these opening verses, we then get a little subtle change. Verse 19. And it's in these final verses that I want to focus our attention today. Verse 19. You, Lord, reign forever. Your throne endures for generation, from generation to generation. God, remember us. This is what we're like. This is our situation. This is what you are like, God. Uh, Christopher Wright, a commentator, says, verse 19 radically shifts the perspective of the whole prayer and the whole book. It provides a foundation for hope but cannot yet summon hope's certainty. God is still on the throne, but will he remember his own? That is the question. In the midst of all that is occurring and all that has occurred to God's people, God is still God. And that's partly what makes the suffering so hard to process. God is still the faithful God whose rule and reign will never end, whose throne endures for generation to generation, even if King David's throne is overthrown. Even in the depths of their despair, 
God is still God. When we think about our own lives and our own struggle with evil, whether it's things from afar like the the war in the Ukraine or in other parts of the world, or it's the own stuff of our lives that's bitterly disappointing, hard and difficult. It can be difficult sometimes to reconcile our experience with whom we know God to be. The God who reigns forever, who is sovereign over everything, whose throne endures from generation to generation with the women are being raped, the children are being boiled, the men are being killed. My life is in a mess. This world is totally messed up. How do we join these things together? All of us still struggle with this conundrum, just as the, the, the writer to, of the Lamentations is struggling with this conundrum in his prayer to God right now. We struggle because we know that God is sovereign. We know that he rules and reigns. And yet there's all this bad stuff. It's a great dilemma. How does the suffering that was experienced by the people of Jerusalem in 587 BC as the Babylonians sieged and raided the city, how does that correspond? Yes, we know there was judgment for sin, but that doesn't account for all of the horror. How do we account for our own pain and suffering and the pain and suffering of others that we see? It's a difficult question. A difficult question without many easy answers. And of course, one of the simple ways, so we think, is to simply remove God from the picture altogether. We say, well, if that's who God is, the sovereign God who reigns for all eternity and who cannot be dethroned, and if this is my terrible experience then the way that I will reconcile these two horrible things is to just get rid of that one. That just must not be true. God cannot be good. He must not be sovereign. Because if he was, my, this would not be my experience. Now, it's another sermon series for another day to really dive into evil and suffering and how we fully make sense of that. But I think it begs the question here in Lamentations 5. And I want to say that though it is a difficult dilemma that requires careful thought, that option is not as uh, simple as it sounds. Because if we remove the sovereign ruler of the universe who is good and right and just from our experiences, then we have no basis on which to protest. You see, the whole of Lamentations is a protest to God 
because we know that God is good and loving and that, and that pain and suffering is not the way it should be. And if we take a good and loving and powerful God who can, can break into human history and, and powerfully act to save his people and demonstrate his love, if we take him out of it, then all we've got is actually the way things are supposed to be. The powerful and the strong beating down on whoever gets in their way. There's no standard to protest against. There's no God who cares. There's just life with its ups and downs and people seeming to get whatever they can from it at whatever expense they're willing to pay. But God's people have a standard. God's people know that the Lord reigns forever, that his throne endures from generation to generation, and that he has promised to create for himself a people that he is a God of love. And we can rightly protest, just as the people of Jerusalem protest in lamentations, of all that is evil and wrong in the world. And that's exactly where they go, isn't it? They, 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 they chronicle the pain and suffering of their situation. They, they remind God of who he is, the, the, the Lord who reigns forever. And then they say, verse 20, why do you always forget us? Why do you forsake us for so long? Their prayer has been, God, come and look at us, come and see how bad it is. Now they say, why is it like this? It's, a, it's the protest of, we know who, what you are like, God. We know who you are, God. We know what you've promised. Save us. And that's where they go, isn't it? You are faithful, this is terrible, save us. Verse 21, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of days as days of old. See, as the book of Lamentations chronicles the fall of Jerusalem and, and, and the peoples rode off into exile, then they know that the sovereign Lord who rules and reigns is going to need to work powerfully in their lives if they're going to come back. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew, us as, as, renew our days as of old. God, we need you to work in us. It's an admission, isn't it, that in one sense they're, they're, they're partly to blame for the, the situation in which they found themselves because God sent prophets. He sent all sorts of people to warn them that living their lives for themselves and not looking after the orphans and the widows, and not respecting God for who he was, was going to end badly. And it has ended badly, more viciously than it ought to have because of the sin of the Babylonians, but it's very bad nonetheless. And so they say, if we're going to get out of this judgment, get out of this exile... Seek to live as your people again, God, then we need your transforming work in us. And in fact, that's exactly what God promised to do. 
Jeremiah, the book right before Lamentations, written to these people before they get exiled, tells the people that they're going to get exiled if they don't repent, that things are going to be bad if they don't repent, and that when this inevitably happens because they're not going to repent, God will come and restore them and renew them. With, with lamentations in your mind, read Jeremiah 31 when you go home today. It's beautiful. But let me just read to you one small part. The days are coming, verse 31 of chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not like be the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. What a beautiful promise. What an outworking of this prayer that they pray as their exile in Lamentations 5. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days of old. I'm going to do that, says God. In fact, he sends another prophet, a guy called Ezekiel, to these people when they're living in exile in Babylon. And that prophet, Ezekiel, says to the people of God this... Chapter 36, verse 24, speaking God's words, he says, For I, God, will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. God says, yes, I will restore you. You will return to me and it will be better than the days of old. You'll have new hearts, spirit-empowered hearts. And it's truly a wonderful promise of God fulfilled to us in Jesus Christ. But before we get there, you'll notice that Lamentations doesn't stop there. I wish it stopped at verse 21. We could round out on that nice word of hope and uh, jump to Jesus and enjoy the good times. But it doesn't finish there. It finishes with verse 22. Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may return, renew us as the days of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. Now there's some significant scholarly debate about what is going on with this ending. And essentially it all comes down to the word unless and what the best way of translating that word in Hebrew is. 
and uh, I'm not going to go into the Hebrew for you today. My one semester of Hebrew done in 2012 is uh, not good enough to give you too much educated uh, Hebrew lessons this morning. Nonetheless, as I've read the cases made, I think I agree that better than unless would be if the word said, even if, or even though. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return, renew our days of old, even if you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure, or even though you have utterly rejected us and are angry with us beyond measure. See, it doesn't change the reality. It doesn't change the reality that the people of God are sitting under the judgment of God and that that's a terrible thing. It doesn't change the fact that their pain is real, but it does change the prayer that they're asking God. It gives it back a little bit of hope. It's right that the poet chooses to end with these words reminding us of their present reality in their state as they have been invaded and carried off into exile by the Babylonians. They are feeling utterly rejected and sitting under the wrath and anger of God and it is terrible. The, the poet doesn't want us to get to the end, get to the, the hope, know the prophetic promises and forget all about the pain because the pain was real and it was hard and it was horrible. The people of God have fallen under the anger and wrath of God because they failed to listen to God. They rejected him they chose to enjoy his gifts without enjoying himself. And Lamentations ends with this prayer that even though they've suffered God's judgment, would they be restored? It takes us back to that high point in the middle of the chapter, chapter three, uh, the middle of the book, sorry, chapter 3, verse 31. No one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. The Lord's, uh, verse 22, the Lord's great love means we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is a prayer that the sovereign God would work powerfully in the lives of a broken people to bring restoration, to build them back as a people who love God instead of themselves. What are we to make of this for ourselves? Well, Lamentations reveals the horrors of the judgment of God that came upon the people of God ultimately because they loved the wrong things. We've heard them chronicle about how they loved their position as God's special people. They thought that special Jerusalem with God living in the temple made them safe no matter what they did. 
They loved the gifts God had given them, the king, the city, the temple. They loved even their ritual worship practices, their temple sacrifices, but, but they didn't love God. They loved the positions of power that they had, the positions of prestige. They, they, they loved all these things when they should have loved God. They had corrupt hearts and they were warned constantly about this but they too much loved their own desires. They wanted to be kings themselves and get a little bit of God on the side. And here in Lamentations, they lose all that they love as God's judgment is poured out. And their prayer, as they experience that, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Fix us. And that's what he promises to do, isn't it? Those prophecies we read from Jeremiah, from Ezekiel, new hearts in the people, made by God's Holy Spirit, that enable God's people to love the right thing, to love him, instead of all of those secondary things, to put him first and everything else in its rightful place. I was at a conference this week. So I always have to bring something back from a conference, don't I? And at the conference, uh, helpfully, that there was this phrase, as God's people, we need to make sure that we love the little things a little amount, the medium things a medium amount, the big things a big amount, and Jesus most of all. He was probably quoting someone else, I don't know. But that's what we need God to do in our hearts, to make sure we get things in order. And when that happens, we're able to live as we're called no matter the circumstances that face us. I want to read to you Paul, some writings from Paul as he, as he reflects on his life uh, as a Christian, uh, living through difficulty but being sustained by a heart set on God by his spirit. From 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, We have this treasure, the gospel in gar- jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. And then he goes on, verse 16, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. God uses all of the stuff of life to bring about transformation by his spirit, that our hearts not be like those of the people of Jerusalem in 587 BC and set on the wrong thing but that we have these new hearts, hearts set on God by his spirit. And so I pray that you would pray 
that God would help each of us today by changing our hearts more and more, that we would get our loves ordered correctly and that we would look to God each day as he continues to transform our hearts and minds. Amen. Amen.